Hello, and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. The discipleship pathway is something we teach uh, throughout our discipleship training. It's something that a lot of pastors, a lot of churches that have emulated in their own church. And by emulate, I mean literally taken it exactly from Long Hollow and plugged it into their own church. Um, I say that jokingly, but not really. It has happened. Um, and, and that's fine. Literally, and the, word for word, and, with with the actual uh, pictures. We've, we've seen several churches do that, which means <laughs> which, we're on to something which good. Which is okay. Which we're, is exactly. okay. We're, we're, fine. We've got a kingdom mindset here. We're not, we're not trying to hold on to anything. There's no monopoly yet. on making disciples That's here. exactly right. Uh, but what we do want to do is clarify what is a discipleship pathway? Why do we need a discipleship pathway? Let's go back to the beginning. Why did you think of, develop, work with others, and just how did it start? The discipleship pathway, where did it begin? Well, I started reading the Bible. <laughs> a good place, a good place to begin. Don't want to do a, a Jesus juke on you, but uh, we start reading the Bible, particularly the Gospels. Okay, so here's here's really what, how I figured this thing out and, and developed it from the life of Jesus. I am an expository preacher, uh, and what that means is I, I take a text every week and I let the text speak for itself, right? So the theme of my sermon every week yeah. matches the substance, structure, and spirit of the text. In a sense, I'm trying to put a megaphone to the Bible, letting God speak to the people. So as an expository preacher, I believe the word is inerrant, inspired, infallible. The word does the work when you allow the word to work, right? Right. Not only do I believe the words are inspired, Jesus said, I truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the stroke of a letter will pass away from my word until all these things are accomplished. Okay. Right. So we believe that. Not only do I believe the words are inspired, Chris, I believe the encounters are inspired. Mm-hmm. Now think about this for a minute, because some people say, I never heard this before. M- meaning this, when Jesus went to the woman at the well in John chapter three, Right. And just happens to be traveling through Samaria down toward Jerusalem and Judea. That That's like a four or five day journey. It just happens that the day he's walking at that moment, he sends the disciples ahead. There just happens through happenstance to be a woman sitting at the well at that moment. Some drawing. might say coincidence. Some can say coincidence, but we know better. We would say God. <laughs> this is a God is sovereign. <laughs> yeah. This is a divine appointment. That's right. Orchestrated by God. So this was planned by God. So the encounters are inspired. Now, why does that? Why, why is that important? Because if that's the case, not only is the message of Jesus important. But the method of Jesus is just as important. Hmm. Okay, so that's good. We can't. Let me say this to you because I want somebody uh, to get this, and this really changed it for me. We can't expect to experience the blessings of the ministry of Jesus and divorce ourselves from the method or the model he used. Jesus had a model, okay? Now, here's the model. Uh, You can break it down, Jesus' entire ministry, into five distinctive groups, okay? So let me do it for you. Number one is the crowd. The crowd uh, is the large preaching gathering. Uh, And I'll just ask you, Chris, name me some large preaching times where Jesus preached to the masses. Uh, Sermon on the Mount would be an easy one. Sermon on the Mount. Now, now, now listen, I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. Here's just good insight. Okay. Yes, the Sermon on the Mount was to the crowd. But guess who the Sermon on the Mount was directed to? Sermon on the Mount was directed to, was it not directed to the people on the Mount? The Twelve. 
Gotcha. Yes, the disciples. The disciples. Yeah, now granted, he's speaking to the crowd. There's a lot of people there. But Jesus is intentional about raising up twelve. We'll get to that in a moment. Give me another one. Okay. Uh, Feeding of five thousand. Boy, you're on it today. Feeding of five (laughs) thousand. You are on it today. if you ask me for a third, I may not be on it. Okay. <laughs> the third would be the 4,000. The 4,000. Feeling okay. 4,000. Okay. 4, but outside of that, you'd be hard pressed to find Jesus speaking to a large crowd. Right. Jesus did not build his ministry on mass crusades and evangelistic uh, outreach, massive events. I'm not discounting those events or right. those crusades. What I'm saying is Jesus knew he could change the world with the power of investing in a few, okay? The second thing is you move from the crowd to what I call the congregation or the committed. These are the people that are not in the inner circle of the 12, but they're in the 120, Acts chapter one, you know, those waiting for Jesus to return uh, and the spirit to fall in Acts one and the 70 or 72 in Luke 10, right? So these are committed people, but outside of that, Jesus called a group of 12, which I call the community group. And out of the 12, the, the 12 apostles, he called the core group of three, which Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, that and John. That one I know. I've got that one down. You got that one down. <laughs> so that core group of, uh, we call a D group, is a group that Jesus set aside. Now, here's what's interesting. Those guys were privy to five encounters that the rest of the guys missed. Okay. And you have to believe that after a while, that Matthew's like, are you serious? These three again? <laughs> like Bartholomew's looking at- Why don't at, we get to go to the mountain? Yeah, Bartholomew's looking at Simon uh, the Zealot. He's like, again? Come on, man. Really? Like, come on, G. What about us in the Garden of Gethsemane? Now nah, you guys wait. We'll be right back, right? The Garden of Gethsemane, the raising of Jairus's daughter, healing of Peter's mother-in-law, the preaching at the Mount of Olives, and the final one is the transfiguration. If you go back and study all those passages, Jesus pulls three guys aside. And then out of that, Jesus had close relationships one-on-one with people. Now, what was staggering to me years ago is when I realized Jesus, now watch this, never had a one-on-one intentional, long-term, systematic relationship with anybody. Wow. Now, did Jesus disciple people one-on-one? Absolutely. But here's the point. It was always out of the larger group, never in place of the large group. Right. Which means if you have a choice and you're going to disciple a group or disciple someone, right. you choose the group model over the one-on-one model. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We probably need to do a podcast. We are going to. Okay. As, we go, as we continue through this Pathway series, we're going to talk about uh, the, that close group, that core group. Yeah, we need to talk about why not one-on-one, and we'll make a note of that. We but, will make sure and answer that question. Okay, now here, back to the Pathway. How did we come up with the Pathway? So if Jesus ministered in five distinct groups, the Pathway is four of those five. Okay. Okay? So basically, I wrote down on a board, if the crowd, if you look at the crowd, that could be the lost. Mm-hmm. Then you move from the lost to the church, which would be the church gathering, which would be the committed or the congregation. Out of the church gathering, the worship gathering, we have a smaller group of a community group or a life group, right. small group, Sunday school. Out of the Sunday school, you have even a smaller group, life group, out of a smaller group called a D group, three to six to seven. Discipleship that group, right? Discipleship group for intentionality. I traveled to California. This is back in probably 2010, let's say 2011. And uh, I'm meeting with a good friend of mine who's been a mentor, Bill Hall. Right. Bill Hall. Everybody knows Bill Hall? I know. You know Bill Hall. Personally. And for those who don't know Bill Hall. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. He's a tall guy. He's a discipleship genius. Well, he is. And what what I like to say is Bill Hall put the hip in discipleship. Okay. 
That's true. Well, it was well, maybe. It, well, maybe. maybe it was cool. <laughs> Bill was doing discipleship before, before it became. It was, that's right. Now cool, that is you know, true. Never, he did. That's, you're he right. wrote about it thirty years ago, and people just figured out yeah. who he is. We're but I commend Bill yet. Hall. Anything Bill re- re- writes, I read. The discipleship pastor, New Century Discipleship, choose the life. You're not wasting time if you're reading his stuff. That's true. Bill has a project called the Bonhoeffer Project, which is a great project. Okay, so here's the deal. Bill and I are hanging out. Uh, I check a bucket list item off. We go to a Lakers game. And uh, at his house right before the game, I sit in his office and I said, Bill, I got this new idea. Let me run it by you. I think, what if we take Jesus's model for making disciples and we superimpose that and and outline it to, to be a process in the church? You know, like a pathway in the church. Uh, and I said, we'll, we'll do like worship that leads to life group, but life group that leads to D group. And out of the D group, people change the world. Because he, here's the thing. Those who are listening today, I would, I would assume, and I don't know you, but I would assume you have a two-pronged approach to ministry. Okay. What are these two prongs? Two prong. You have a two-legged, you have a two-wheeled bike, bicycle here. Okay. I was going to say a two-legged dog. Two le- That's not as common. Two-legged dog. Two-legged dog. No. <laughs> That's you have a two-wheeled bicycle. A two-wheeled bicycle is better. Okay. You have worship and you have life group. Yes. Okay. But I want to ask you to add one more stop to the train, one more leg to the run. Okay. So worship, life group, and out of the life group, we'll talk about this in the week's head, there's the D group model. So I went to Bill and I said, what if we do that? What if we have this three-pronged approach to You ministry? had a brand new idea. You were excited to show the guy who put hip in discipleship. Oh, man. What's up? You're oh, like, man. Wait, wait till you hear this, Bill. Um, no. I thought, man, he's going to say, I've never heard anything like that. Man, this is amazing, right? <laughs> he said to me, he said, Robbie, that's a great idea. The only problem is John Wesley created that idea and implemented it back in 1750. You're a little behind the times. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple, 300 uh, plus years ago. Yeah. So... I said, really? I've never heard of this. Now, this is what's interesting. I've studied Wesley for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've studied the preaching of Wesley. I've studied the ministry of Wesley, but I've never studied the organizational genius behind the start of the Methodist church. Yeah. Okay. John Wesley was not the best preacher. Okay. You're, you don't need- you're stepping on a lot of toes here. Well, I mean, some people don't know that. Well, okay. <laughs> in, a, in my in my dissertation, I mean, in my PhD work, I studied sixty five of Wesley's sermons. Mm-hmm. Studied them. If you study more than that, you might have me beat. But I will tell you, Wesley was an okay preacher. But what Wesley was great at, and, and even historians would say this, Kevin right. Watson, some others in the Methodist world. Sure. And I love Wesley. Don't get me wrong. But Wesley wasn't the best preacher, but he was an organizational genius, Chris. Here's what he did. Whitfield was his friend and counterpart. They were in the Holy Club together. When Wesley had a ministry that wasn't successful as, as he thought in America, he met Whit- Whitfield at the boat dock in England. Whitfield says, come on back, Brother Wesley. Let's go back to America. Wesley says, I'm done with America. While Wesley's ministry fell apart in America, Whit- Whitfield comes and has this massive impact on American culture. Massive. Because he's an amazing preacher. He's an amazing, I mean, the golden mouth of preachers. Whitfield could hold the attention of five to 10,000 people without the use of amplification at these Crazy. events. And in fact, one of the stories I, I love is Benjamin Franklin. Uh, Franklin was not a believer. He wasn't a Christian, but Franklin would go listen to Whitfield when he'd do these massive crusade revivals. And someone stopped him and said, uh, what are you here for? And he said, I'm trying to make sure that I can hear him at all point. There's so many people here. So what Benjamin Franklin would do is he'd walk on the edge of the crowd just to see supernaturally, you know, if he could hear Wesley, I mean, Whitfield, and he could. 
But somebody said to him one time, you don't, you don't believe what Whitfield says. Why are you here? Right. He said, oh, no, I don't believe anything Whitfield's saying. But Whitfield does. Hmm. And that's why I'm here. He, he was so passionate. Yeah. He was so believable, right? People would get saved. Many people would get saved, born again after Whitfield's preaching. Whitfield would leave town, pack up, go to the next town, do it again. Guess what Wesley would do? Linger longer. So when Whitfield would leave, Wesley would linger, and he would move people through a three-pronged approach to ministry. He would move them in what he called societies, classes, and bands. Okay? It's going to sound very familiar. Societies would be the worship gathering. Right. You'd come on Sunday morning. Uh, you'd gather together as believers. You'd hear the word of God. You'd be encouraged. You'd sing worship to the Lord. But what Wesley knew that that wasn't the most effective way to grow spiritually only. So he wanted people to get in what he called classes. These classes, Chris, 12 to 20 people, men with women, mixed uh, gender couples would meet in there uh, for the purpose of accountability. They would share their own challenges. They would pray for the group. They would fellowship. It would be evangelistic. Basically, kind of like what we have called Sunday school or small group generally in our church. Generally, yeah, generally. The only difference was this. Out of that group, Wesley knew that that wasn't the last stop on the train. So he wanted people to form what he called bands. Why bands? Because they banded together as brothers, banded together as sisters. Five to seven, it was a closed group, not open. They met for 12 to 18 months or longer at times. They They would be high accountability groups. There would be intentionality, transparency for the purpose, now you're going to love this, of reproduction. Now, a lot of people, as you can imagine, were not too interested in the society, I mean, the classes and not too interested in the bands. They just wanted to go to church. Now, I know this doesn't happen in your church if you're listening, but I've heard of it happening in a few may happen in some. Yeah, no, it happens in all churches. But here's what happened. Wesley created what he called a ticket system. Mm -hmm. Now... I thought about doing this years ago because I thought, man, we can get all our people in church. They have to have tickets to get in, right? So here's what would happen. You'd come to church. We'd say, look, it's the Swains. Man, so good to see. One of the deacons would be at the door. So good to see the Swains. Y'all come on. Oh, by the way, do you and Melissa have your tickets? Uh, No, we don't have our tickets. Okay, great. Go to class. So basically, to get to worship, you had to go to class. You had to go to class. You had to get your ticket stamped, or at least you had to get a ticket. You had to have this ticket that you would show at the door. Now, here's what happened. People would go to class, but then they wouldn't be regular. And Wesley fixed the problem because people tried to circumvent the process by using tickets from last quarter or last year. So Wesley fixed it where every quarter... Every quarter. Every quarter. Yeah, yeah. Quarter. You could tell I'm from the French quarter. quarter. Yeah, New Orleans has the French quarter. Is that quarter or quarter? Quarter. <laughs> quarter. quarter. <laughs> Depends on where you're from. How do you say it in Arkansas? Uh, quarter. Quarter. C-O-R. Is that C-O-R? C-O-R-T-E-R. Is that a quarter? quarter. C-O-U-R-T. I got quarter. four quarters. Four quarters. <laughs> Dylan, get a fact quarter. check on that, please. Quarter. Dylan's looking it up right as you speak. <laughs> Phonetic uh, version of quarter. Okay. So you would <laughs> they would change it every quarter. In order to keep people from kind of uh, manipulating the process. Now, you may say, this is crazy. Who could do this? Why would he do this? And then if you went to the band or the D group, you got another ticket that had that on it. And it was on the same ticket. It had another letter. Now, here's what happened. You may think that's crazy. And probably today it wouldn't work. But back then, 1750, when he started this, Mm -hmm. from 1750 to 1820, Chris, here's what happened with Methodism in America. 
The Methodist Church was the largest denomination among all Christians. In fact, 30% of all Americans by 1820 identified as Methodist. Okay. Three out of every 10 Christians in America, so-called Christians, went to the Methodist Church. They outpaced the closest denomination by 20%. How did they do it? Here's what I want you to get. They had a simple, reproducible process, a discipleship pathway for spiritual growth. And here's why that's so important, and we'll unpack this over the weeks to come. What we do in churches is we don't tell people, here's one step for you to take, take the next step. Right. We say these 30 things you can dabble in. Mm-hmm. We don't give them a map. We give them a menu. Right. Okay. That, that Discipleship is a map. We say to get from here to there, you've got to go through these three cities. Drive here, drive here, drive here. We love doing that when it comes to driving, but we don't do that when it comes to church ministry. We say, here's a menu. The hors d'oeuvres are here. Choose some things you like. Yeah, the entrees are here. You have a 67 entrees. You can choose one. Uh, there's desserts over here. Just have at it. And what happens is, you ever been to? A, have you ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? I have. Okay. Do you like that place? I love it. You love it. There's so many cheesecakes to choose from. Well, the, well, even that. Have you seen their menu? It's I like have, a 25 yes. page like a menu. Book. Yes, it's, it's like a, a book. It's a novel. You have to read while you're there. I revert back to the ACT test. I mean, I'm like. <laughs> Like a kid. Always choose C. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> no. What happens is I, I don't know where to turn. I'm paralyzed. I'm looking through that. Like, They're all, all so the, good. All these options, right? So I, I would just say in the, in the week's head here, we're going to talk about why we need a pathway and why that's important. Now, let me just finish with a quote from, from Whitfield himself. Okay. John Wesley and Whitfield got kind of sideways on theology. You know that from church history. Yes. But they still loved each other. Uh, in fact, when Wesley died, Whitfield said, Wesley's going to be so far up closer to the Lord that I won't be able to see him in the back of the line. So he really loved Wesley, even though they disagreed. But one time, right before Whitfield died, he came in contact with a man named John Poole, who was a Methodist minister. And Poole said to Whitfield, hey, it's good to see you, old friend. And Whitfield said, are you still a Methodist? He said, oh, man, I'm still a Methodist. I'm following the teachings and the practices of John Wesley. Whitfield said, you are right to do so. Now, here's what Whitfield's words were. He said, Wesley decided to move people through a pathway for growth, that he moved them from classes or societies to classes to bands. Whitfield said, I didn't do that. And because of that, my entire ministry is a rope of sand. Wow. That's strong words <laughs> come from one of the My greatest ministry preachers. is a rope of sand. Friends, think about this. Long after you're gone, the question is going to be asked, did you build your ministry in a way that will outlast you? Are you leaving a legacy behind you whereby people will grow and develop into the image of Christ regardless of you being there or you being gone? Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple making, resources related to disciple making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.